This is Angela Breidenbach with Historically Speaking, and my guest today is a friend and also a Christian Authors Network member who has written a number of books, many of them you will recognize, but we're going to focus on the books that she's written based on her family stories. Her name is Andrea Bashar, and she lives in a different state, and her family went through a lot of the same types of things that mine did. So learning the history with Andrea, and Andrea, you are in Wisconsin? That's correct. Wow, and Andrea Bashar, you spell her name A-N-D-R-E-A, and her last name is B-O-E-S-H-A-I-R. So there's two A's in the last there. So uh, when you meet Andrea Bashar, she is just a delight and a dear. And we have just been able to build a very sweet friendship. And I'm just really honored that she would come on Historically Speaking and share her family's story. We're titling it today, The Orphan and the Milkman, because she has a story about how her grandmother and her grandfather met. And it is so fun and it's full of drama and interest and intrigue. And so we're just going to get right into it. Andrea, first, before we start, tell us how do we find you online? So if anybody's listening that would like to learn more about you, where do they find you? Well, first of all, Angie, thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show today. I'm very excited to be here. And um, readers can find me on the web at my website, andreabeshar.com. And as you said, it's A-N-D-R-E-A, B as in boy, O-E-S-H-A-A-R.com. And from my website, they can find me on Pinterest. They can find me on Facebook. They can find me on um, uh, Twitter. Uh, so everything will be right there at their fingertips. And they can see you know, my latest re- releases as well as some of my older works. So I think that's a good place for them to start. And if you're hearing this story as we go through it and you think you might be related to Andrea, I encourage you to contact her through her website because one of the things we love uh, doing about Historically Speaking is true love stories from history and in hopes that sometimes people might hear this and be able to connect to relatives that are long lost or lost lines that they haven't found. And I understand, Andrea, you have a lost line in your family story. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Sure. Um, Well, as you mentioned, uh, my grandmother and grandfather met in northern Wisconsin. And what happened was it was at a time when automobiles were being used in the city. But in northern Wisconsin, that was like a different world. You know, that that was still kind of a faraway country place. And my grandfather delivered milk. He had to get the team of horses ready every morning, get the milk, and, and he would deliver it. And uh, he delivered to uh, the orphanage. And I want to say that the orphanage was in Wittenberg, Wisconsin, but I may be incorrect on that. Um, But that's where my grandmother was. um, She was still in high school. 
And at lunchtime, well, they asked my grandfather, oh, you know, stay and have lunch. It was a blustery, cold day, so he did. And um, after lunch, they would sing a hymn, and my grandmother was playing the piano. And I think with my grandfather, to hear him tell the story, it was love at first sight. Aww. It was so sweet. So tell us what did tell us from his eyes what did you see what did he see? Well, he saw this very pretty lady playing the piano and of course he had to learn who who that was and what her name was and he he wasn't a shy man. So <laughs> I think he learned who he was and got an introduction and everything. But she was still in high school. So I think they had, you know, something of a courtship until um, she was out of school and she wanted to be a teacher. And back then there wasn't a lot of things for a woman to go into. It was basically nursing or teaching. I mean, those were oh, see, and my grandmother went into things. nursing. And your grandmother right. went into teaching. Makes complete teaching. sense. Right. Wow. Right. Well, yeah, so because now, you have to. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so how did she end up in the orphanage? Well, it's a it's a very sad story. Um, my mm-hmm. my great grandmother, and you know, I say this in all due respect because I did not know her, but it seemed uh, from what I have heard that she had a bit of a man problem, and mm-hmm. um, and and my grandmother, as far as I know, wasn't really sure who her father was, or if mm. she did, she did not talk about him. And uh, my grandmother, or my great-grandmother, I should say, was uh, divorced, and she wanted to, I mean, she had no skills, so her only option was to find a husband to support her. And she knew with a bunch of kids that no man was going to take her. So she deposited her children at the orphanage. And my grandmother at the time was three years old. And my grandmother said, even in her older age, she said she still remembers lying down by that back door and, you know, seeing the crack under the door and crying and just waiting for her mom to pick her up. Oh, how heartbreaking. Let me tell uh, one little genealogy tip here because of what you just said. You know, she deposited the children in the orphanage. But... Up through even into the um, early 1900s, the laws were actually set against women for keeping their children if they did not have a husband. And uh, Ah. so they didn't really have rights to their children. So courts would often take them away if they found out about that. And they would, and the, the way the laws were set up was that they were supposed to give the children to the closest living male adult relative. And okay. if one well, of those it could closest, be that, yeah, she it could be that she have a choice. Yes, because she couldn't support them herself, and she maybe didn't have a close male relative willing to take them. And um, society would often force that upon that male relative, and they would have to go through orphan court and assign those children to that man. Um, she could go to court and win custody of her own children if she could prove she could support them. So it, you know, okay, it may so maybe be, that was why she was really looking for a husband. 
it could be very well be, but then that husband would become the support of those children and he would have to legally accept that. So in the case of like my third and fourth times great grandfathers, um, and this is, I'm just using this as a story, not because I, I want to hear your story, but I just want to give this example for genealogy research. My third time great grandfather was raised by his uncle because his father, my fourth time's great grandfather, died uh, as a hero in the American Revolution. And his wife was left with two children, a daughter and a son. The son was um, at that time by law required to be given to, and this was in uh, the 1777 and 1778, to the um, nearest um, adult male relative to be raised because they didn't think a woman was capable of raising a boy. And the daughter, she was able to remarry um, within two years. And um, so she, we don't know the story around that. She may have lived with that brother during that time. I don't know. But it was... Um, it was her husband's um, brother, so it would have been her brother-in-law. And then she remarried, and she was allowed to keep her daughter, but not her son. And so Aww. these are things that are important to know for us when we're doing genealogy. Is it probable that the woman was up against something where she's going to watch her children starve, so she puts them in an orphanage? Absolutely. Is it possible that, you know... And then you look at your grandmother uh, and your great-grandmother. Um, was there really a man problem? There could have been because that search, she she was desperate, you know, could have been. Right. But it could have been she was that divorced because she wasn't uh, staying at home either. <laughs> right, right. So. And that would make perfect sense, you know, because mm -hmm. I was going to just add in here, too, that, you know, it wasn't until, you know, uh, the 1920s that um, the 19th Amendment was added to the U.S. Constitution about women even being able to vote. So before that, you know, like if my grandmother were born, well, she was born in 1913, so it would have been 1916 or 1917. So women didn't even have the the power to vote, and they were regarded as not as good as or not equal to, and it's taken a long time to, even in that decade, to, you know, overcome that, you know. So, right. and I think we're still battling. <laughs> Sometimes I think we are, so. Yeah, but. yeah, I think so. I, so I want to get back to this. So she was in the orphan home, um, and did, right. and her siblings were there, too. Um, were right. any of them adopted out? Not that uh, uh, we know of. Not that we know of. Um, I think, you know, also back then, you know, my grandmother never spoke of any kind of abuse she suffered mm -hmm. at the orphanage. I think, I think it was really a very strict upbringing, but never... I guess that the trauma didn't come from the orphanage itself. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, I, but the sense of maybe because, abandonment. Right. All kinds of those other issues that people just said, you know, suck it up. Well, they didn't say it in that way, of course, but it, yeah. <laughs> that was sort of the that was sort of the sentiment was that you know, well, that's just the way it was. You just move on, you know. And, um, but it, yeah, it and, you know, in many, 
Yeah, right? I mean, they they really didn't have the psychological tools that we have today. Um, But the women would learn how to sew, how to play the piano, how to cook. And the men would know learn things like blacksmithing or, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, being a clerk, they would learn their figures so they could, you know, have a trade. Um, and now I was just reading an article this morning about how sexist, you know, sexist and racist orphanages really were in the early 19th century but now it seems we the pendulum has swung the other way and we're so afraid of teaching our kids like anything like it's you know so girls girls a lot of girls have no idea how to sew and and Mm -hmm. men don't really you know learn manufacturing or 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 you know how to fix a car or you know we we almost have been too afraid to even offer those things to men or women. Yeah. Well, right. The opposite. Life skills. How do you teach people people life skills? You know. Right. And it's like we've lost those life life skills. Exactly. And you know, open to men and women both. But you know, we have wonderful cooks who are men, um, chefs. You know, you see all these TV shows now with these chefs and, you know, mm-hmm. a man can be in the kitchen and very respectable. But back, you know, in the early 1900s, that wasn't the case. You know, um, tell us the names of the people. So if people are listening out there and they hear a name that rings familiar or that might be missing from their family tree, what was your grandma's name? My grandmother's name was Alma, A-L-M-A, Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. And she um, went by the nickname Ami, A-M-I-E. It it almost looks like Amy, but, you know, because mm-hmm. the Norwegians always use that softer A, um, like mm-hmm. Amen. Or, you know, it, it, she always said Ami. She referred to herself as Ami. So, um, you know, that's, yeah. And I'm sorry. That's interesting ahead. because my, my sister-in-law's name is Amy and she spells it like Ami. And I don't know if she maybe, I'll have to ask her if she knows if she's of Norwegian descent. I did not know that. Um, oh. Okay. Well, and what was your grandpa's name? My yeah, she may not. My it may grandfather. Be yeah. And my grandfather's name was Ruben. John Johnson. Now, this was interesting. Uh, My grandfather's father, so it would be my great-grandfather, came from Norway. And when he came to America, um, you know, they said, who are you? And he said, well, I'm Andy Johnson from Fluga, Norway, you know. So his last name, the way Norwegians did it, really would have been Fluga, um, which is spelled F L. U G E, and mm-hmm. um, and so, but they wrote down in the immigration papers Johnson, because that he had said he was Johnson from Fluga, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, so that's how it became Johnson, and he he was Andy Johnson after that, so oh um, I know I know that's that is always very interesting. So, um, 
And then Andy Johnson married one of the Icus girls, and their parents had also come from Norway. Um, and there were uh, several girls, and uh, my great-grandmother on my grandfather's side was one of them. And her name was Louisa, Louisa Ikes, E-I-K-A-A-S. So, E-I-K, yeah, I mean, it's... Wait, spell it again, it's, E-I-K. E-I-K-A-A-A-A-A, A-A-F, as in Sam. Got it, got it. So, and in fact, I actually used that. I actually used that last name. Oh, I'm sorry. I actually used that last name in mm-hmm. my fictional account that I based my, um, her- you know, my research on my family history. I wrote a series of fictional books, and I actually used that name in the in the books. That is so cool. I've done the same type of a thing, and I encourage other people to do it because telling the stories of your family keeps that alive for people. But, you know, there's other things that you can do besides tell the absolute facts. Sometimes telling the essence of the story is more powerful than just the black and white facts on paper. And so you and I both do that in our historicals and in our writing. Um, I'm going to publish my grandfather's story, my grandmother's story, a great aunt's story, you know, individually so that. People can find these uh, if they're searching their own um, genealogy. And I, I want to find relatives and I want to find more about my family story. So I'm going to do the facts, but I'm going to try to do the what I remember in there and the photos and things like that to bring it more to life. But for the general public, it's the story of your orphaned grandmother meeting the milkman and marrying is just lovely. Which book is that from in? Well, I actually don't have that exact circumstances in my book mm-hmm. because I I thought it would be too close and there might be mm-hmm. some bad feelings within the family or some hurtful mm-hmm. feelings within the family. And I knew mm-hmm. my Norwegian relatives would scold me and say, you didn't get that story right with, you know, your grandparents <laughs> and it'd be like, well, I'm writing fiction. So what I did is I just had my character in the first book, which is called Threads of Hope. Um, It's in my Fabric of Time series. And each book Mm -hmm. goes up a generation. So in the first book, Mm -hmm. it's Kristen Ikes, who has just gotten off the boat from, you know, in Brown County. You know, she's, she's been on a boat. She's been, you know, on a train, another boat. Another trend, you know, it's been a very long journey, and it's in 1848 when Wisconsin became a state. And so I had fun creating the characters out of, um, they emerged from my family history mm-hmm. just as the fictional of the story. characters. Yeah. Right. I it's did the just, same thing because grandparent is is very close and I still have people in my family alive today and I wanted to honor that and I wanted to honor the essence of their story and so I think that that is a great way to be able to do that today without causing hard feelings but yet to convey um, both the beauty of a love story and the reality of, of history in in fiction and it gives such depth to a story 
to be able to draw and I things like so. that. I think so. I think it does. And I don't think I was even able to capture the essence of the real stories and and maybe one day I'll be able to do that you know but there mm-hmm. there is such um how do I want to say this some people have been really hurt by the past and like what we said before where you know they were just kind of told you know that's what it is move on or you don't speak about those kinds of things. And so, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps it would be hurtful at this time, but, you know, eventually I, I really would like to, um, you know, uh, really get deeper in, into mm-hmm. my my family, my real family story, you know. Mm-hmm. My grandmother then, she was a teacher, as I said, and they were married in the early 1930s. Um and she uh she was also a writer she loved to write and she taught reading and writing and uh she taught art so she you know dabbled in her paintings and i think everyone in our family has a a painting from ami you know um mm. they're very special and do you have and one? i think if I, I do i have several yes would you take I, a picture I, of your actually, favorite and if you take a picture of your favorite and send it over to me, I'll add it to the show notes for people to see Ami's painting. Oh, okay. I will. And this is really funny because I love Lake Michigan. I mean, if I ever am feeling really in, you know, having tumult, tumultuous emotions, I love to go sit by the lake. And it, for some reason, the body of water and the, sound of the waves and the seagulls I mean it all calms me right and I I grew up near Lake Michigan so you know we all learned to swim we all played in the lake as kids but my grandmother had a very traumatic event happen and in during her orphanage days her best friend actually drowned while swimming and she had she, you know, nobody knew how to rescue her, and she drowned right in front of my grandmother's eyes. I mean, it was very, very traumatic. And so she painted this picture of a dock and the lake, and it's in Manitowoc, actually. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, I love it. And everybody went, oh, but it's so dark. And I'm like, no, it isn't. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it, it was really, you know, it's perception, but I love it and I have it hanging in my house. And Take a know, picture and send it to us like, so we can add it I to will, the notes because I, I know people will love that, to see that, especially knowing the story behind it. And oh my goodness. You know, um, how then do you think that the, it, from the stories you made, did you get to meet and be around your grandparents? You know, I I did. We were very close with my grandparents, actually. But, you know, I knew my grandmother. She was a different person as a grandma as she was a mom. And that's the same way I am. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I love being, I let my grandkids do way more stuff than I'd ever let my kids do, right? I mean, I'm just right, like, right. my job. I, <laughs> right. So, um, but she, she was always I used to write her letters all the time and she'd always Mm -hmm. write back 
And I mean letter writing. I mean, we didn't have email and Twitter and Facebook and everything. So, you know, the art of letter writing was not dead, at you know, even during my childhood. So, um, but she... Um, she encouraged me to write. I wrote a book. It was called Little Miss Mouse when I was in fourth grade. And oh. with my pride and joy, I handed it to her. And, oh, she thought it was the most marvelous thing in the world. And, um, you know, I mean, it was that kind of thing, you know. Just I remember her as being very encouraging and very laid back and, you know, but always wanting, you know, she wanted everybody dressed up on Sunday morning so she could oh, yeah. fill up their church and, pew, you know, their pew in church and she could brag, <laughs> you know, that gave her bragging rights. And, of course, that was very important to her. So, um, you know, she loved that. And um, she was very, uh, very proud, I think, of her family, you know. Mm. And Can you imagine, um, though, from being an, an abandoned orphan? to yeah to that deep love that this is my family we can understand that sense of belonging and pride because it, oh, it really yes. is probably deeper because of what she went through exactly but you know i don't think that i think it developed over the years of her being a mother because she really didn't know how to be a mom i mean she was mm -hmm. raised in an orphanage well, and I was so, raised a, 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 with a schizophrenic mom, and I didn't know how to be a mom. So I, sure, I think, I mean, in a way, I relate to your grandma. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. That I mean, battle I of think trying being to a new mom. Well, being a new mom, everybody knows that, like, <gasps> helpless feeling, you know, with that first baby. I mean, we just you just never know really what to do. And by the second mm -hmm. one, you're more confident and, you know, you remember what your parents did and the first baby, you're not going to do anything your parents did, you know, and the second exactly, one, exactly. Yeah, maybe mom had, yeah, maybe, maybe mom had was right, right about that. Right? And by the time <laughs> they get to teenagers, it's like, help, mom! <laughs> <I know. laughs> so tell That's me something right. about Ami, uh, Ami and Ruben. Did you, could you physically see the love they had for one another? How did they express it? I did. You know, um, my, my grandfather was, uh, showed it, I think, much more. He was very patient with my grandmother. He let her, mm -hmm. um, in fact, he reminds me a lot of the man I married, Daniel, because, or mm -hmm. my, Daniel reminds me of my grandfather because um, my grandmother always had these big ideas, you know, she wanted to, you know, she wanted to come to Milwaukee and teach at a city public school. And my grandfather had his work up north. And so she mm -hmm. packed up the kids and moved to Milwaukee and she lived just a few blocks away from us. But it was, she got a real taste of what the public school in Milwaukee was like, mm -hmm. as opposed to the school up north in Tigerton, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think that year really shaped some of like her, oh, maybe fantasies about being a, you know, a teacher in a big school big as teacher. opposed to, <laughs> right, a big city teacher as, to po as opposed to, yeah, that's not so bad up there, you know, maybe. Um, so, but, uh, but I mean, he let, he allowed her uh, space 
and he might have griped about it, but he allowed it. And wow. um, that's love. and he might have, you know, said, I don't think this is a good idea. You might regret it, blah, blah, blah. But he allowed it because he knew she had to do it. You know, he'd mm-hmm. he'd had so many different experiences. He kind of knew what life, you know, mm-hmm. life was all about, sort of. And he was a very um, laid back. But but when I say laid back, I don't mean he wasn't strict because he was. You know, mm-hmm. and when he got angry, it was everybody kind of cowered because that didn't happen all that often, right? You know. Yeah, we really. So I think. Speak, I think we? she had problems. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, she had problems showing love because, I mean, again with the orphanage, she just. Well, right, and you know, orphanage. You know, you probably don't get a lot of hugs and kisses and things like that. You don't learn what love looks like. Right. Yeah. Right, right. You don't learn what it looks like between a man and a woman. So it sounds like he really tried hard to show her what love looked like and that she really tried hard to understand it. And, I, you know, I think we are coming did. to the end of the show and it's breaking my heart because this story is so good and so rich. Um, I hope, listeners, that you will dig into your family love stories, your true love stories. And you can uh, email me through my website at AngelaBreidenbach.com if you know the true love story of grandparents and, and back further and uh, apply to be on, historically speaking, like Andrea Beshar, my guest today. And if you think you are related to Andrea Beshar and she's searching for that lost line of Alma Anderson, known as Ami, who was put into an orphanage at three years old, she'd love to hear from Go to andreabeshar.com, B-O-E-S-H-A-A-R. Thank you for being on the show today, Andrea. Oh, Angie, thank you so much for inviting me. This was fun.